today, I'm talking about a subject that I have mentioned before, but again, as I mentioned last time when I said I'm putting things together that I've been collecting over a long period of time. So this is the Dagwood sandwich approach. Thank you, Laura, for posting that cartoon so that we know the origin of Dagwood sandwich from the comic strip Blondie. But this is packed, jam-packed with good truth, and it's about healing, and it's stuff that I kind of wish I had had in this format years ago when I had a conversation with somebody because I felt like I had a couple of these points and I tripped over my words and I wasn't as eloquent as I'm about to be right now. now. <laughs> but I wish I had so many of these points that I could have laid out for this gentleman because he had some questions about healing. And I'm confident in what I'm sharing today and I want you to be confident in what you can share with others if they have questions about this. Because I think this is an important thing, especially in today's generation where we've got a lot of false teachers saying some things that are just not biblical in relationship to the Bible's teaching on healing. Well, let me tell you about, first of all, my nose surgeries. And if you said surgeries, did you just say surgeries with an S as in plural? I would say yes. I've actually had two deviated septum surgeries in my lifetime. They were the same exact surgery, but for two different reasons. Reason number one, my cousins and I, the country cousins, I was in a city boy from Phoenix, but we would go to New Mexico and visit with my cousins, and we got to ride cows and jump off of haystacks and all kinds of stuff. And we were jumping off this stack of hay bales into a pile of cotton burr. And if you were to say, what's a cotton burr? I would say, good question. That's what's left over after they pick all the cotton, and it's just the seeds and the leaves and some of the stems and maybe a, an occasional little tuft of cotton left on there. And then you say, well, why would they have a pile of cotton burr out there anyway? And I would say, that's another good question. It's because a lot of farmers would use that for compost, and then they would put it back into the field and make it go back into the ground because there are lots of nu nutrients that they can put back in, which is good for the next crop. Plus... They need a pile of cotton burr so that kids can jump off of hay bales. <laughs> and if you were to say, well, how high were you jumping from? I would say about 16 feet in the air. And if you were to say, that's too high, I would say, you're exactly right. And except that it was a pretty good deep pile of cotton burr. And if you were to say, oh, well, did you actually hit the cotton burr and roll the way you're supposed to? And I would say, no, I did not. Unfortunately, my experiment of jumping off that haystack was proof of Newton's first law of motion because my knee became an object at rest while my head was continuing to be an object at motion. And that's why I needed the first nose surgery because I broke my nose on my knee. It's tough when you kick your own nose. <laughs> But that's exactly what happened. Reason number two, this was a little bit later, um, I had said after the first nose surgery, I hope I never, ever have to do that again. Well, I was playing catch with a friend in my front yard, playing with a little baseball. I bent down and I said, hold on just a second, was going to tie my shoe, and I looked up and I thought, huh, why is that baseball getting bigger? And then it hit me. I know the joke is really old, but I still think it's kind of funny, and it's true, but breaking my nose wasn't terribly funny, even though I thought the joke was funny. But you want to know what's really funny? 
trying not to laugh, or, or trying to laugh, but without smiling. Because my friend came to visit me in the hospital the next day after my nose surgery to cheer me up. And he thought it would be a really fun thing to try to crack me up, and so he kept telling jokes. But when you have a plastic splint that's up inside your nose that's really raw from them chiseling the bone away and stuff, you don't want to smile because it's Newton's first law again. You know, an object at rest, all that stuff. So I discovered that it hurts a lot less when you laugh without smiling. But that's difficult to do. I would urge you all to try it sometime. After church, try to have a laughing contest and see if you can do it without smiling. It's pretty fun. Well, do you want to know what I sang to the nurse the second time I showed up at the ENT's office for my surgery? I said, God blessed the broken nose that led me back to you. And you want to know what I sang to the nurse a week later when she took the cotton packing out of my nose? I said, there was grass being mowed, but I never smelled the mowing. No, I never smelled it at all till there was you. I think she enjoyed it. But as you can see and hear, my nose was healed and I'm feeling fine. I can breathe the grass when it's being mowed now as I drive by our church property. And I know that Tom has been out there. And I'm fairly close to symmetrical, so especially if you see me from this side. I think that it came along pretty well. And after my surgeries, I was especially glad that God created these amazing complex bodies of ours, we human bodies, to heal properly if we just give it all the right stuff. And I'm grateful, too, that there are medical professionals who know how to help put us back in right shape so that we can heal properly. But here's the big question, and this is the one that arises often in evangelical circles and in Christian circles, and some people are asking Christians, I see all this evidence that God's not doing a whole lot of healing supernaturally these days, so what's the deal here? Why would God choose to heal some people and not choose to heal other people? Well, a good starting place, I think, in trying to answer this is not necessarily the answer everybody wants to hear, and yet I still think it's the right answer, and it is this. He is answering. In fact, it's similar to what he does when we're asking about why doesn't he answer certain prayers of any kind. He's answering, but he sometimes answers with a yes. Sometimes he answers with a not yet, and it's a slower healing or a slower miracle. And sometimes he just answers with a no, which means that it would not always be God's will in a human being for him to heal. And that's what my friend that I had a discussion with years ago didn't want to hear because he thought that it was always God's will. That if we just had enough faith, if we could just pray in faith, it was always God's will to heal. And that's why I wanted to dive in today to be able to answer that biblically so that you can get some perspective and understand why I truly believe that God is still just as loving, He's still just as all-powerful as ever, even when He chooses for His good reasons not to heal when we ask him sometimes. Let's deal with this one misconception to start with. We just need to pray in faith. And there are some good scriptures that relate to that. I understand that. I know these scriptures. James 5 is one of them. James 5, 14 through 16. This particular passage gets quoted a lot by people who say, you just have to have enough faith because it sounds like on surface level, that's what this passage is saying. The prayer of faith passage. In fact, it's even called that in certain translations. 
Let me read that to you. Verse 14 of James 5. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the person or make the sick person well. Now that's the NIV translation. I'm going to touch on that in just a minute. The Lord will raise them up. That's an important phrase. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now in English, at first glance, that translation sure sounds like that if you just have enough faith, and if you ask the Lord to heal you, He will give you what you want because the prayer of a righteous person is effective. But the New English translation, remember what I was talking about in the Bible when I said that some of the more contemporary translations are actually more accurate than some of the older ones because they're going back to the earliest known manuscripts and they're trying to get at the root of the different languages that were in the original. I think this is one of them. New English translation says, The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. It doesn't say healed, it says saved. Well, what does that sound like? It sounds like salvation. It sounds like for eternity. And incidentally, raise him up is not raising up off a sick bed. It's a phrase that's been used elsewhere in Scripture. It's raise him up on the last day, as in the resurrection. Same thing found in John 6.40, by the way. For this is the will of my Father, this is John 6.40, for this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That verse is really talking about salvation and eternity so that a permanent healing will eventually take place for those who are praying and confessing sin to one another. It has to do with confession of sin, it has to do with saving grace, and it has to do with being raised up on the last day. So the phrase, raise him up, to raise him up so I can... Walk. No, that's a different song means to resurrect that person. And we get the resurrection, we know for sure, because Jesus was our first fruits. He was the down payment. He was the first among many, knowing that everybody who places their faith in Him will also have a resurrection at the last day. So, we need a little context. More context is needed for us to understand what James is saying to us in James 5. He's been encouraging fellow believers all through the first part of that passage to be patient in suffering. Aha. So this is vital. This is important. He's not saying you don't have to worry about being patient because all you have to do is have enough faith and you won't suffer anymore because God's going to heal you and you'll be okay. No, he gives a lengthy description to the kind of suffering they're going through and says you can be patient in suffering because you can know that there's that raising up to happen in the future. That's the context for James 5. So yes, we should pray in faith. We should. And we can ask God to save us and we can take hope from James 5 by knowing that even as we endure suffering of different kinds, we can be patient knowing that God will eventually raise us up on the last day. Should we not pray for healing temporarily? No, we should. We absolutely should. And I'm going to get to that in a moment as well because I have some examples to offer that all physical healing on earth is temporary. And many of us have been healed of many things, which is all temporary. So yeah, we absolutely should. But sometimes when we get to that point when God says, okay, I'm going to answer this one no, 
It's because he has good reasons, and we can trust him for those reasons because he knows a lot more than we do. And we can trust that he always wants what's best for us for eternity and not just temporarily. A decade was spent by my father in his last 10 years of life with Parkinson's. He had been vibrant. Uh, He had athletic ability. He used to ride his 10-speed bicycle 10 miles a day to work in Phoenix, Arizona, in city traffic, just because it made him feel better because he was healthy. He was the guy who didn't smoke. He didn't drink a day in his life. He worked outside a lot. He exercised, but he got Parkinson's. And as we know, since we live in a fallen world, disease is one of the effects of sin in the world. And so this world, unfortunately, throws things at us that are beyond our control. And we do the best we can with them. Did we pray for my dad? Absolutely. There's a lot of people praying for my dad. But you know what? The first 50 years of his preaching was made really evident, and it was proven in the last 10 years of his life. Because as he struggled and was waiting patiently for God to raise him up, he continued to bless the Lord, O my soul. All those songs that we were singing, they were important, and they were being fleshed out in his life because he was enduring patiently those light and temporary afflictions that Paul talks about. Now, we didn't think they were so light, and we didn't think they were so temporary. It took 10 years for Parkinson's to wear him down. But for him, he knew in relationship to eternity like the snap of a finger. So they were light and momentary for him. They were temporary. And on that last day when he was raised to be with Christ, he didn't have Parkinson's anymore. And I know many of us in this room have had to deal with some real grief because of loved ones who have gone before us. It's a tragic thing and it's horrible. And we remember that. We carry it with us for the rest of our lives. But this gives us hope and it gives us reason to patiently endure because we know that for those people who are in Christ, who went before us, there's going to be a reunion. Here's this dangerous assumption that we need to deal with here. If I just have enough faith, I'll be healed. Now, I need to unpack something logically for a moment. We need to think logically about that. If it's always God's will to heal, meaning physically on earth, and if the only thing standing between God's healing and my prayer is the amount of faith I have as I pray, then that really means it's my faith that's responsible for the healing and not God, which means I'm putting faith in my faith. So if you come at it from that perspective, we have to be very careful not to go there because suddenly we're responsible because we had enough faith and we can claim the glory for that. And God's very jealous about His glory, and rightfully so. Well, why is it a dangerous assumption? Because people have tried this, and they have been shaken to the core. My wife and her older sister, Melody, had a common friend uh, from Montrose, Michigan. This lady was stricken with cancer. And there were many well-meaning people that were saying, you know, we're going to pray in faith, and we're going to claim your healing. And you can walk into that healing knowing that we've already claimed it. It's yours. Just take it. And she kept getting sicker. And she wasn't getting better. And she started to wonder, well, do I have a lack of faith? Is this my problem? Is it my fault? Is it the people who are praying for me and with me? Is it their problem? Do we just need a collective large amount of faith? And then, of course, you start going weird places in your mind, and she's thinking, well, does that mean God doesn't love me if he doesn't heal me? Or if it, 
Is it, does it mean he's not as powerful as I thought he once was? None of that's true. Because of all of God's omni-attributes, we know that he's all-loving and all-powerful. He could do anything he wants to do. Yes, he's loving to us. So if I just have enough faith, it's a dangerous assumption because it leads us to impugn God's character. And we don't want to be doing that. How do we know that he hasn't stopped loving us, even if we have to suffer through some temporary difficulties? Because the Bible tells us so. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We know that. We always need the shadow of the cross to fall on our temporary suffering. Because as we look through that shadow to the cross behind us, we understand God still loves me. And he understands suffering. He's with me in my suffering. He's not aloof. He's not ignoring me. He's right there with me in my suffering. Here's another passage that people will try to quote as they try to justify the notion that it's always God's will to heal. It's 1 John 5.14. Let me just read that verse. This is from the New English Translation. And this is the confidence that we have before him that whenever we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Sounds good. And it sounds like one that you could grab and use to justify it's God's will to heal unless you understand that all healing is temporary and that we're all going to have to die from something. That's why we need to go all the way back to the first answer and say he is hearing and he is answering, but sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's not yet, and sometimes it's no. Asking for something in God's name means that we're asking in his authority and that we're asking something that's within his will. When I was a kid, I wanted a motorcycle so bad, and I kept asking my parents, could you please give me a mini bike? I mean, I'll start small, and I'll water it every day, and maybe it'll grow into a motorcycle, but I want a motorcycle. And they kept saying, no, no, no. And then finally they said, not yet. That was hopeful. Not yet is a lot better than no. And then they came up with a crazy idea, and they said, we've got a great idea for you. You're going to go work. And I went, wait, what? No, you're going to work to earn money, and you get to buy your motorcycle. And your grandfather is going to put you to work. And I said, I know, but there's one word in there that's troubling me. It's that four-letter word. It starts with a W. But I worked, and I earned the money, and I bought the motorcycle, and I had so much fun, but I also learned the value of a dollar and how hard it is to earn money and that I needed to save it, and I couldn't spend it on other stuff if I was going to spend it on that. It was the best summer of my life. It was so good. So sometimes when God's telling us not yet, it's for really good reason, and we can trust Him. He loves us enough to give us the very best for us because He loves us that much. Let's look at a couple of passages where we see that it's just not God's will to heal in every instance. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul, in his missionary journeys, had left one guy in a certain town. Why did he leave him there? Because he was sick. This guy was sick. Too sick to travel with Paul. And he had not recovered. So Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4.20, So I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Well, if it's always God's will to heal, and if Paul had the gift of apostleship healing, he'd healed other people, why didn't Paul just lay hands on Trophimus and heal him so he could go with him on his trip? doesn't say. The passage doesn't tell us. All it says is 
in this instance, Paul left this guy in this one town, and he did not take him with him because he needed to finish getting over whatever was keeping him there because he was sick. Well, 1 Timothy 5.23 is another one. Paul had written to Timothy, and he said, Use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Ah, that's interesting. Well, why didn't Paul just lay hands on Timothy and heal him in that instance? If Timothy was giving uh, evidence that he needed some Prilosec, which they didn't have back then. So he used a little wine because that was better for killing the bacteria and some of that stuff they had to deal with. Why didn't Timothy have enough faith to just get healed? It doesn't say. Why is that? Because sometimes it's not God's will to heal. And sometimes, and this is, I think, really important and valuable for us too, sometimes we need to rely on human intervention as God's agents of healing, as Paul had suggested to Timothy. That's okay too. It shows us that we can trust the great physician, ultimately, who put our bodies together in a certain way that if earthly physicians help us get everything lined up right and all the numbers are balanced the way they're supposed to be in all of our hormones and our blood counts and all this stuff that has to go on, that we're fearfully and wonderfully made and we can stay healthy for a long time. And it's okay for us to trust that. I trusted a doctor with a hammer and chisel to fix my nose. That takes a lot of faith. But he did, and he healed me so that when I walked out, I still remember the very first time that I got that cotton packing out after the first nose surgery. Somebody had been mowing the grass in the front yard. I took a deep breath, and it smelled like it was in technicolor. Have you ever smelled in technicolor? It's awesome. And I smelled that grass, and I hadn't smelled that in a couple of years because there was a bone spur that had blocked my sinuses, and I just couldn't smell well. And it, mowed grass still has a warm, fuzzy place in my heart to, to this very day. It's a wonderful thing. Why did that happen? Because God, the great physician, gave some wonderful intelligence to some earthly physicians, like my ENT, ear, nose, and throat, and he fixed my nose. Now, God's the ultimate healer, and I give him credit for that, but I sure thank that physician for making my nose straight again so I could breathe. My family knows a lot of people, both relatives and friends, who have diabetes. That's a tough situation for many. I know that we uh, struggled with one of our very younger persons years ago, back when we were meeting at the other end of this structure, because we were in the cafeteria, and we discovered that one of our church members' kids had uh, diabetes, and pretty strong, too. Well, they take medication to regulate their blood sugar levels, to get that glucose just right, and the doctors who have applied their knowledge to help my diabetic friends are really helping us to do what God wants us to do because he's helping us reach those certain levels so that our bodies will do what he's gifted them to do, what he has made them to do. He's an intelligent designer who made it possible for us to thrive if we're balanced with those things. Epilepsy is another difficult situation. Our family knows several sweet families who have at least one child. One family has more than one. But we're grateful that physicians know what the chemicals are like and what can balance that out. And they have certain medications they can give you on a regular basis so they don't have to worry about having seizures. That's a wonderful gift. So I really credit God with giving the intelligence to human doctors to help us get into the places so that the great physician who gets the credit can do with these fearfully and wonderfully made, intelligently designed bodies can do what he wants them to do. Same thing with a broken arm. I got an extra elbow when I fell on the playground, didn't like it, 
I could reach around corners better, but it hurt, and I wanted them to fix it. I was grateful that they had a doctor who took an x-ray so they could tell where the bones matched when they lined them up, and he could wrap it with a cast so that it would heal that way. Isn't it amazing that God, who, in, who intelligently designed our bones and our bodies, can send the healing properties so that those bones not only fuse together and knit together, but they're actually stronger at the place of the break afterwards because there's extra calcium that goes there. And that's intelligent. I think that means that the great physician is to be praised for that, but I'm really grateful for an orthopedic surgeon who knew how to fix that arm so that God could heal it ultimately. Here's one more important point that we need to recognize as we deal with this question about healing. Jesus' primary calling, and this is a very theological point, but it's so important. Jesus' primary calling on earth was not healing the sick. That was not his number one job. If he were to give Jesus a job description, this would not be number one on the list, even though he was really good at it. And we see a lot of instances where a lot of people were healed by Jesus. He came to earth, though, for a different reason. He came to earth to take care of our ultimate Eternal, permanent healing, not just the temporary, physical, earthly healing. The main purpose that Jesus healed on earth was not to make people better so that they could be temporarily relieved of their suffering. I mean, that's a good purpose, but that's not his main purpose. His main purpose was to show that he had the authority to forgive sins. We even saw that in several of the passages. He did that with the paralytic man who was let down through the roof. And he said, the first thing he said to that guy when this guy came crashing down through the hole in the roof and he was let down on his mat, he didn't say, why did you break this man's roof? He also didn't say, um, you came here to get healed, didn't you? Okay, boom, you're healed. No, the first thing he said was, son, your sins are forgiven. And there were some people sitting there thinking, what? He can't forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. Ding, 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 ding. That's the right answer. And he said, so that you'll know that I have the authority to forgive sins, pick up your mat and walk. The guy picked up his mat, took off in front of everybody. They were amazed. It said they praised God because they'd never seen anything like that before. That's from Mark chapter 2, by the way. And so it's not always God's will to heal, but when he does so, he's displaying his power so that, remember I keep talking about how important those two words are? So that people can be drawn to the goodness of Jesus and place their faith in the loving God who wants us to have an eternal relationship with him. That's the main reason for Jesus' healing. Now, however, and I don't want to be a a downer, but I think we're probably already aware of this. We're all going to die someday. I think we're aware of that, right? Now, I, I would love to be able to make it to 100 like my great-grandfather, Papa Love, he grew a lot of his own food in Texas, and he got out there and worked with the horses. And He was a strong man, and he lived to be 100, and I'm grateful for that. I'm not sure that I have the same stature as great-grandpapa love, but I hope maybe to live somewhere close to that. But I'm still going to die someday. I think Dave Barry, who wrote that funny book called Stay Fit and Healthy Until You Die, he couches, couches, captures? He captures... The concept really well, that's going to get edited out. <laughs> but we know that we're all going to die someday. And that gets back to the root cause of why we need to understand what God intends for healing. Here's one last passage that people use incorrectly because they don't get this point that death is the last curse 
to be overcome, and Jesus came up with the answer to that. He's the one who solved the problem for us because of his resurrection. Let's look at Isaiah 53. This is another big passage that people will use. And unfortunately, and I know they're well-meaning. I know many of them are really well-meaning, but they just don't get it right. And I'd rather have them get it right because God's Word has so much that gives us encouragement forever and not just for a few months. And this is Isaiah 53, which we need to understand. This is the one where people would say, oh, but by His stripes we are healed. And they'll claim that for physical healing on somebody. Now, I don't want to be a downer again, but you need to know this is important. That passage is not about physical healing. He was pierced for our transgressions. That means for our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. Clearly, that's evidence that he's talking about atonement and why Jesus would have to suffer and die on our behalf. The punishment that brought us peace, and the word there has to do with this eternal peace, it's not just a temporary comfort, was on him, on Jesus, while he was on the cross. And by his wounds we are healed, which means saved forever, saved eternally. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, which sounds a lot like Proverbs 14, 12, which says, there is a way that seems to be right, but in the end it leads to death. And the Lord has laid on him, meaning Jesus, the iniquity of us all. See in context how all of that points toward the atonement. It points toward forgiveness of sin, necessary for us to have eternal peace, eternal comfort, eternal healing. We'll be whole forever one day. It doesn't have to do with, by his stripes, we are physically healed temporarily. That's not the passage. doesn't mean it's not a great passage. In fact, I think it's an even better passage when we understand how far we can look into the future for what God has in store for us. He loves us so much that He doesn't want to give us merely a temporary peace or a temporary healing. He wants us to have the whole shebang. He wants us to be healed forever. Now, we need to consider one more important thing because if we're ever going to see somebody who got said no to by God, we can look to Jesus Christ. God said no to one of Jesus' most desperate prayers. If we want a good example of this concept, let's look to Jesus for a second. He's the greatest example that I know of, of a faithful person. He was a righteous person. He had no sin in his life. So you would expect that if anybody had enough faith and had the ability to be answered by his father, it would have been Jesus. But God said no to him. My father, if it's possible, Jesus said, let this cup pass from me. This is the important part. Yet, not what I want, but what you want. Not my will, but thy will, Lord. See, Jesus had to go through that suffering on our behalf so that Isaiah 53 would be fulfilled. So that by his stripes we are healed, not just temporarily, but permanently. And because of that, now we have hope so that if we have to patiently endure some suffering on earth, it feels like it's light and momentary. It shrinks it in our minds to say, yeah, a decade is a long time to live with Parkinson's. Some people that I've known have had to deal with some pain in their lives for a long time. But they also knew that it was temporary because they had this permanent peace that passes all understanding because God took care of their greatest need and they were going to have healing forever one day as they were raised up. So, the question, why does God heal some and not others? again, is most 
poignantly answered when we go to the cross. That's where we need to go with all of our biggest questions. We need to go to the cross because that's where all these answers start to get their meaning. They start to have a real in-depth answer and not just a Sunday school answer. I love Sunday school. Sunday school answers are good, but you know what I'm saying. It's not oversimplified. The cross is not a simple thing. It was complex, but Jesus took care of it and made the gospel simple for us by what he did for us on the cross. That incident in the Garden of Gethsemane clarifies that sometimes when God says no, it's because he has a far better plan in mind. Plus, when Jesus suffered and died on that cross, God knew it wasn't over yet. Because it was Friday, but Sunday was coming. And when Sunday came, everything changed, and it can change for us too. Now, when I said we ought to be praying for temporary healing, we should. I've seen it with my own eyes, and I've seen it in my own family. Every one of our three children has been prayed for, and each of them at a time when we weren't sure one day if they would still be alive the next day. Now, I'm telling you, I've seen it. Our oldest, Katie, when she was just a few weeks old, she had some sort of an upper respiratory virus. The doctor said, this is serious enough that it's kind of out of our hands. We're doing everything we know to do. They put her in an oxygen tent back when they did that sort of thing. That poor little tiny infant was all poked through her veins with the IV, and they were trying to pump her full of fluids and stuff. But we didn't know. She was so lifeless and listless that first night that we didn't know if she'd be alive the next day. My daughter, Katie, is alive today. Gave birth to our two grandsons. She's down in South Carolina. We've been praying for some temporary healing for them because COVID has made it through their household, unfortunately. They're all coming out the other side of it, gratefully. But that was a big deal for us. And we were saying, God, if you say no, we know it's because you know the situation even more than we do. That's a hard prayer for a parent to pray. To be able to give your child up to the Lord and say, this is your child. I'm just here to temporarily help do whatever I need to do in the few years that I have some impact with this little tiny human that you've given me. But this person is your person. And if you feel that it's best, if they would avoid suffering for the whole rest of their life or whatever, if you feel it's best for this child to go home with you, I'm ready. It's okay. God answered the prayer in our favor or in the way that we would like, but we were saying, "Not not my will, but your will, Lord. Same thing with a son. After a terrible car accident, we were driving to the hospital not knowing what shape we would find him in. He's doing great now. God answered our prayers. It's amazing. Our uh, youngest, you've heard Callie's testimony. This unusual virus back then, it was not COVID-19, but an unknown virus attacked her heart and the lining around her heart. So she had myocarditis and then pericarditis. Very serious suffering. And there was that first night that we just weren't sure. Joy and I were in that hospital not really sure if Callie was going to be with us on earth that next day. She's here, and she's singing for us in the praise team. So clearly God answered that prayer, and so I'm so grateful for that. Should we pray? Yes, we absolutely should pray for temporary healing. But we should also always pray what Jesus prayed in the garden and say, yet, not my will, but your will, Lord. Knowing that if he chooses to say not yet, He's got more to do if he says no. The answer is no in this case. Like my mom when she was in the hospital. And I flew out to Arizona. 
And I got there so that she was in a sort of a semi-comatose state by that time. She'd had an unexpected heart attack. That shocked us because she'd had a mini-stroke before, and we thought a stroke was going to be what took her home to heaven. And I wanted to talk to her, but I couldn't because she was sort of in and out of consciousness most of the time. But a really sweet nurse. you got to love these sweet health professionals. She saw me in there with my mama, and she said, can I talk to you for a second outside? And I said, sure. So we, we went out in the hallway she said, you're the son, aren't you? And I said, yeah. She said, you're sweet mama. I don't have to tell you this, but she is so polite and so caring and so wonderful. And she was always asking how I'm doing. And she said, she is just such a blessing. And I said, well, thank you. I've, I've known that to be true. She said, your mama, as you know, is not in real great shape. And I said, I'm aware of that. She said, well, she took her oxygen mask off her face just about three or four hours before you got here. And she pulled me close, and I said, yes, do you need to say something to me? And she says, yes. She says, I want to go home. And the nurse says, oh, Faley, we're doing everything we can to make it possible for you to go home. And Mom said, no, not home. And she pointed to heaven, and she goes, home. God said, no to our prayer for temporary healing. Because he said, yes, to permanent healing. And it was so much easier. Because we knew where she was. And we knew where she was because she'd lived a life that was giving herself to the Lord in such a way that we knew she had that hope. And every one of us can have that hope. And it's not a cross-your-fingers kind of a hope. It's a secure, steady, long-suffering hope rooted in the cross of Jesus Christ. And I long for people to have that hope based on Jesus and what he did for us. Three days after that exchange with the nurse, my mom went home to be with the Lord. And she was pointing up to something as my sister and I were trying to sing. Is she reaching for our hands? What does she want? She was pointing to something we couldn't see shortly before she went home. And I think God was using all those things to continue to reinforce and affirm for us, yes, this gospel means something. This is real. This is not mythology. This is a real, lasting, supernatural hope that is founded in Jesus Christ because He's the one we can truly trust forever. And I want so badly for other people to trust Him the way I've trusted Him because you can have that same steadfast hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a real gospel message based on evidence. And as we've talked about in the last couple of weeks about your word and why we can trust it, these eyewitness reports of all the folks who wrote, especially that New Testament where we get to see the resurrection of Christ and of all those resurrection appearances to hundreds of people, it gives me such confidence to know that we can absolutely trust Jesus Christ with our lives, not just for temporary healings when you choose to give them on earth, but for the best and most important healing of all, which is the healing of our soul because of sin that broke us. And it's a terminal difficulty, this sin. It's a terminal illness that would result in separation from you forever. But you fixed that. You fixed it on the cross by suffering on our behalf. By enduring some temporary suffering of your own so that 
you could show us that resurrection is promised to everybody who places their faith in you. And I pray that if anybody's hearing this right now, they will place their faith in you as well and say, God, I need you. I want your forgiveness in my life. And I want eternal satisfaction and hope based on Jesus' resurrection. Thank you for that. Thank you for your forgiveness. And thank you for the promised hope that you'll raise me up one day as well. I thank you in Jesus' name.